All God's people said, Amen. it's a great little course. Thank you, Kathy. Y'all give Kathy a hand. I am so grateful for Kathy and for Cindy, who are our piano team and play for us and help cover up my mistakes. It's a, it's a blessing, and I'm grateful for, for their help. Your Bible's open to 1 Peter chapter 2. We read one verse earlier, and I want to read a good, por- a good portion of 1 Peter chapter 2 uh, this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2. And we obviously we observed the ordinance of the Lord's Supper last Sunday, so we're a couple of weeks removed from talking about living in the light of eternity. Uh, You'll see the, the focus, the, we call it discipleship focus, in the right hand bulletin top. It'll be there, it's there every Sunday, will be for the next two years. For 23 and 24, that's going to be our theme or our focus. I think this time around, instead of calling it our theme, we're calling it our discipleship focus. And we've talked about already living in the light, being Christ, Living in the light of eternity. And so, living for Christ now matters, but living for Christ is going to matter then. You know, when the Bible says, and we shall reign with Him, no, no matter what your eschatology is, now, I mean, y'all know I believe in, you know, in the rapture and, and you know, that we're not here during the tribulation. I, there's many other beliefs about eschatology. But no matter what, you can't get away from the fact the Bible says, I don't care what you believe about end times, the schedule of end times. When the Bible says, and we shall reign with Him for a thousand years, that's pretty clear. As a matter of fact, six times in, one, in just three or four verses it mentions that we're going to be here a thousand years with Christ and He's going to rule and reign on this earth. And it is clear when you read the Scriptures that our role then is based on our faithfulness here, now. In Jesus' kingdom parables, especially in Matthew's Gospel, we have several, we call them kingdom parables. In all of those parables, it's about stewardship. There's a king, we're his servants, and the king's coming back. And we're going to give an account of what we've done as stewards. And then He's going to reward us. Well, folks, that's the kingdom. That's living for Christ now and living for Christ and with Christ for eternity. So, folks, these are important days. I I think about when we talk about the theme, we talked a little bit about it last two weeks ago, living in the light of eternity. We think about this massive contrast between light and darkness. And we think about Paul's teaching in the last days. He talks about... You know how in the last days people will depart from the truth, you know, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Folks, we are there. The man will have itching ears and they will accumulate for themselves. And the word accumulate means to stack up. And think about the different kind of teachers people can listen to now. And they can find somebody, or you and I can do this too, we can find somebody that'll tickle our ears. And the Bible says they will accumulate for themselves teachers having that they want to tickle their ears, to tell them something that they want to hear rather than to be confronted by the truth of God's Word. So we are living in the light of eternity, but we're in the midst of a war. 
because we are in the world of darkness. Matter of fact, we're living in the domain of darkness. I told you last week, uh, the three, you know, when the Jewish, if you're reading, uh, if you read Jewish history, uh, especially intertestament periods and into the early first century, uh, they talk about why the world, and I'll be brief about this, but it's very important for a biblical worldview. Why is the world where, why are, why are things so bad? I mean, if you want to just let's put it that way. Why is it so bad? And remember what the, the Jewish belief, and it's accurate, why things are so bad. And there were three major events, remember? Number one was the fall in Adam. Uh, you know, and everybody sinned in Adam is what the Bible says, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. You inherited a sin nature. You're dead in Adam. That's what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 15. So there's Adam, the fall, and then man's corrupt and we're sin. And you can read the book of Genesis and see the fall of man and soon thereafter you have a murder. So you see the wickedness of man. So that was number one, was, was the fall. The second uh, great cause of the wickedness of man that we still, think about it, still affects us today. This is pretty strong to think this way. Is what happened in Genesis 6. When the angels came down and consorted with women, and the Nephilim were born, and you can read extra biblical books that talk about. So the Bible's a book of salvation, so it doesn't tell us everything that might have happened because the angels fell. It tells us when, and it tells us about how long they lasted, but that's about it. So for almost a thousand years, God put up with. Angels consorting with women, Nephilim being born, and them absolutely corrupting the face of the earth. And about every conceivable sin that could be introduced to mankind was introduced. A lot of those were induced by the Nephilim because they were half man and half fallen angel. You can imagine. So that was the second incursion of sin. Adam, the fall of the angels, and then the third one, Thank you, the Tower of Babel. And folks, we're still living there. That's why the gospel has to go around the world. We have, folks, it's not a nation. We're, we're a nation, a holy nation. We're not geographical, but we're spiritual, right? We are the kingdom of God, those of us that are saved. And so everywhere we go, we can share the gospel. So the gospel needs to go around the world because the world is lost. The world's in darkness. And the devil rules the world. That's what the Bible says. Jesus said that. But when you think about the Tower of Babel, it's very important to know that God disengaged from the world. That's what Deuteronomy 32 tells us. It tells us that God just, He, he gave the nations, he, you know, he scattered them by, confused their languages. And there's 70 different nations mentioned, if you want to go to Genesis 11 and read about it, 70 different people groups mentioned. Not races, not races, but ethnicities, right? How many races are there? One. Human race, right? And they're all sinners. All of us. There's one race. And so you read Genesis 11 find out there's 70 different ethnicities that God divided and they divided based on the languages. And so He disengaged from it. Literally it says He divorced the nations because of that rebellion. It was... I, again, I, I say this and my heart's just as wicked. It... Some scholars say, now think about this. Some scholars say, Usher, James Usher is one of the guys that dates this stuff. 
that it was a hundred years from the flood to the tower. A hundred years, just a hundred years. A hundred years away from absolutely every living thing with breath in its nostrils being killed other than what was on the ark. And you know they passed, we know it's because every people group has some kind of flood story, flood narrative. So a hundred years removed and you're not going to obey God's commands to fill the earth. You're not going to do it. So Nimrod shows up. Good chance he was some kind of something corrupted by fallen angels. But anyway, he, so Nimrod shows up. He's the first antichrist, so to speak. He leads this worldwide rebellion. They won't, they won't fill the earth. They kind of stay together there in the, the Middle East and Mesopotamia. And, and they start building a tower of worship. And God rejects them. And it says he scatters the nations. And he divorces them. But then about a few years after that, he says, he calls a man named Abraham or Abram and then. And he says, I'm going to make of him a great nation. I'm going to divorce the world and I'm going to marry this man. I'm going to make a covenant with him and he's going to, be a, he's going to turn into a great nation. Miraculous birth. Promises fulfilled. Abraham became Israel. And that was God's people. They failed. Jesus then came as the true vine. And he did not fail. So now, part of the kingdom is not us being all in one geographical location. Having borders. We're borderless. It's because Christ is in us and he's king. And now we're going out into the world sharing the gospel. But we're doing that in enemy territory. Uh, this, is, this is a cursed, fallen world, a wicked world. This is why the Bible describes the Christian life as, as a, we're to be soldiers, as a warfare. Paul does that in 2 Timothy. He does it in 1 Timothy. And he does it in Ephesians. We're at war. And you have been, you're a soldier of the cross. You've been enlisted by Christ and you're a warrior, a soldier of Christ. That's what it says. He describes it as running a marathon. He describes it as being a soldier. He describes it as being a farmer. It's a battle. We're light in the midst of darkness. So when Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you're the light of the world, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And what? Are you going to light a, a lamp and put it under a bushel? Are you going to light a lamp? Is God going to do that? Is He going to light a lamp and then hide it? No. You know, the little children's song, though it's, you might think it's silly, is profound truth. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Uh, and you all want to do it. Won't let Satan... And that's what his goal is. He, he wants to silence you. He wants to blow the light out. He wants to cover the light. So that's, that's the battle that we're in. So in our little theme, you know, we, if, you have, if you're looking at the top of your bulletin, it says living in the light of eternity. And I, I give you four parts of an outline. Now, I'm not using that outline this morning. But because of that, we're, there's no darkness for us. Those... So we're not to live in darkness. There's no deception. We, we should not follow wicked and deceiving spirits. Number three, no departure. We're not going to depart from walking in the light. And number four, no delay. We need to do it. 
We need to do it now. Our four verses are John 1. I'm going to read those now. John 1, Ephesians 5, and Ecclesiastes. Listen to God's Word. And then I'll, then I'm, I am going to come to 1 Peter 2. Okay? But let me read these first. In Him, first John, I mean John 1, verse 4. I'm going to read 5 too. It says, In Him was life. And the life, you and I, if we've been saved, we have the life. What's the opposite of life? Dead. You know what the Bible says? You were, before you met Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. In Him is life. Then he says, and the life was the light of men. So, so who's going to be the light of the lost world? Who's going to shine the light of Christ to a lost world. Every saint is going to be a light in this vast world of darkness. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness. It's an emphatic statement by Jesus. The light shines in the darkness, John's Gospel. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Therefore, do not become partakers with the immoral idolaters. This is Ephesians 5. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Folks, I've been saved, you know, 46 years. I still remember what it was like to walk in darkness. Matter of fact, sometimes I act like I'm still in the darkness. Do you do that? So it says, for at one time you were darkness. That's an interesting statement. It just doesn't say you were part of it. You were. That means you were part of the corruption. But then he says, but now you are light in the Lord. So you shouldn't be part of the problem anymore. You're part of the hope. You're part of the gospel, part of the truth. And then he says, walk as children of the light. In Ecclesiastes 3, 10 and 11 says, I've seen the busyness that God has given to the children of man uh, to be busy. He has made everything beautiful in its time. And, and at the end of verse 11, he says, also. So man's busy, but then he says, also. He has put eternity in man's heart. So folks, even today, there are people in this room that all of us have eternal life. Some are eternal life with Christ and some of, that, are without, that don't know Christ are eternal life in darkness or their father's the devil. Listen to God's Word and then I'll come back to 1 Peter. Matthew 6, 23, and I've quoted this several times as we walk through this theme. Jesus says, but if your eye is bad... The lamp of the body is the eye, is what the first part of the verse says. The lamp of the body is the eye, how you see things. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if you don't have the right sight, if you, if you can't see the Spirit, if you can't see Christ, if you're not... So he says... The lamp of the body is the eye. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Then he says, but if the light that you do have is really darkness, what I'm saying is if you believe that you're there, but you're really not, 
He asked the question, how great is that darkness? Because there's tons of people in this world that know about Jesus. They profess Him, but they don't possess Him. They don't, they don't have the light in them. They know about the light, but they don't possess Him. So, so Jesus says, if somebody thinks they have the light, but they really don't, He asks the question, how great is it? How great is that darkness? That's devastating darkness. 1 Peter chapter 2. And if you don't mind, I'm going to read a good portion of the context here, uh, beginning at verse, uh, verse 1. Uh, 2 Peter 2. I mean, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 2, verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and, and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, I love that, as you come to Him. Like this morning, I, I think about on Sunday morning as we assemble ourselves together in corporate worship. How many of us are longing for the moments where we come to Him? You know, we have this, of course we do this all the time spiritually, but you're, this as you come to Him, as you find in Him all the answers and and the way that you may walk, and how you might live, and how you might, as you come to Him. A living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. I love that. All of us are stones, living stones. And each of us, I mean, if we're thinking about the local church being the body of Christ, and, and one of the pictures that Peter uses is all of us are stones, and, and God uses us and places us in, in the church where He wants us. And, and, and as we do that, the church becomes stronger and stronger and, and becomes more purposeful in its pursuit of Christ's likeness and fulfilling the Great Commission. But he says, At you as... You yourselves, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Interesting word. Everybody who is saved is a priest in God's house. A priest. And if you study the Old Testament, what's the first thing you think of a priest? What is a priest normally in your mind? Really, there's two things. What do you think about when you think of the priesthood? I always think about sacrifice. That a priest were, I mean, there was all these orders of priests, but the point would be they would oversee the sacrificial system. And so we're a pre, every one of us that have been saved are part of the priesthood. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, Chosen and precious. And whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So for us, we build upon this cornerstone. For the lost, it's offensive to them. 
And one day that stone's going to crush every lost soul. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And here's part of what we read. But you are a chosen race. Now I want you, as I'm reading this, think about the scattering of the Tower of Babel, right? God spread the nations, people groups all over the world. So, the Jewish people in the Old Testament, God made a covenant with them, and they failed. They did not fulfill their portion of the covenant. That's eventually why when God made the covenant with Abraham, He ended up making the covenant with Himself. So, He could guarantee salvation. So, the Jews failed, so Jesus comes. But now, it's not geographical. Those of us that are part of His kingdom, it's not geographical, it's spiritual. So, every one of us that are saved, not only are we part of the priesthood, which is what he says about us. But you, he says, but you, those of us that are saved, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Think about what Paul says in Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We're, we're a work of grace. We're a work of art. God saving you from your sins, implanting His Spirit inside of you is a work of God's grace. It's a beautiful portrait of God's mercy. You are. That's what He's saying. But you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. Now what are you going to do? What's our responsibility? That you may proclaim the excellencies. I like that word. That you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness, out of darkness, into His marvelous light. Then He says, once you were not a people. Now think about that. You know, God disengaged the world. They're lost. I mean, once you were not a people. But then he says, but now you are God's people. Isn't that awesome? You are part of the holy nation, chosen race, royal priesthood. That's who you are. And by God's design, we gather together in local assemblies called the church or the called out assembly, the body of Christ. But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy... But now you have received mercy. Have you ever thought about grace and mercy? I love the Bible because it tells us that Christ is rich in grace and mercy and, and we need grace and, and we need mercy. But let's just suppose you are here today and you've never repented and trusted Christ. You're not saved. You're in darkness. Well, not only are you in darkness, but the Bible says you don't have God's mercy. And if you want to see what God thinks about sin and the judgment of sin, as best as we can see it, you can read the book of Revelation and see for about seven years what God does physically in judging sin, just for seven years. But we know that those that die without Christ will spend eternity without Him. So the judgment of God without any mercy will fall on them for eternity. See, this is why the gospel is important. 
I was reading the other day, um, well, we were, I was teaching Genesis in my Sunday school class. This has been a while, a couple weeks ago, a month ago. <clears throat> and I was reading some, we were talking about, Gen, we believe in Genesis from the very first verse. We're big, you know, we love answers in Genesis, but we, because Genesis 1 through 11, every major doctrine we believe is found in Genesis 1 through 11. But anyway, I was reading an article or something, and this, this theologian made this statement. He said, if I had an hour to share the gospel with somebody, if I had a whole hour, and I was explaining the gospel to him, he said, I would spend 50 minutes talking about Genesis 1 through 11, and then the last 10 minutes talking about Christ. Because if you don't understand where you came from in the fall, and you don't understand the curse on man and why the world is so dark, you don't appreciate what Christ has come to do. And I thought there's a lot of truth in that. But for those of us that are saved, we've received God's mercy. And he says, but now you, one time you didn't have God's mercy. But now you have received God's mercy. Then, then he says, beloved, look at verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. That means in this world, we're... Uh, one scholar says we're alien, alien, re, alien residents and visiting strangers. We're in it, right? Right? We're here. We're in it. But we're not of it. Jesus heavily talks about that in John 17. And that's the battle. Is, that's my battle. That's all of life's battle is, is being in it, in the world, but not being of the world. Not letting the world taint you uh, one of the great doctrines are, are the Puritans. If you study history, church history in America, and you study the Puritans, um, separatists and all that, they were big on one of the doctrines. We don't use this a lot, but it was called the mortification of sin. Great volumes were written about killing sin in your life. That's what the books were about. Is how to purge sin out of your life. Because it should have no place. It should have no domain in our lives. And so, but that's the battle. Is letting the world dictate. You know, this is why we know the three things. You know, your old nature, right? The sin nature, right? Is, is against you. The old man, old nature, whatever you want to say. So your Adamic nature is against you. The world is against you, right? Because who's the king of the world? This world. The devil. So, the, so we say the world, the flesh, and the devil. Those, those are your three enemies. And they, they want you to discard biblical obedience. They don't want you to walk in the light. They want you to live. So, so he says, beloved, this makes so much sense to me, beloved. I urge you as soldiers, because we want to proclaim the excellencies of him who's called us out of darkness and his marvelous light. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak evil, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So they can't make accusations that stick. So we're... You know, we're, we're visiting strangers, we're alien, whatever term you want to use. We don't belong here. But we're here as missionaries for the cause of Christ. So living in the light 
of eternity. That's what we are. But we're living in the midst of darkness. Now, I'll just quote it, but Robbie read Psalm 19, which is an incredible passage about the, the veracity of God's Word. It says, the commandments, and again, you'd have to be studying it, but the commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. And I forgot what verse it was, 9, 10. The commandments, I, I'm keeping up with the time. I, I got it right here. The commandment, the commandments of the Lord are pure. Commandments, you just you don't really care how the Hebrew shows, but well you do, but but that word commandment, he's used the word command appears several times, but all of a sudden God's word uses this word for them. It, it was a comprehensive term for every law that God had laid down. So he says, The commandments of the Lord are pure, vibrant, um, shockingly uh, bright. I mean, the word was, and he says, enlightening the eyes. So if you and I are going, and this is a fact, we know it to be true, if we're going to live in the light of eternity, the light of eternity, the Word became flesh, and then the Word that was flesh guaranteed that His Word would be put in print. And it's that Word, it's the living Word that we have to trust and the only thing that we can trust if we're going to live in the light of eternity is God's Word and God's Word alone. It's what's going to enlighten our eyes so we can see where the darkness might be, that we can discern between right and wrong. Very important when it comes to the theology that you and I uh, live by. First uh, John 1, 5 says, This is the message that we have heard from Him and declare to you that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered, this is one of my favorite verses, He has delivered us, listen to God's Word, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and He's transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Let me read that again. That's Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, that's everybody who's saved. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Ephesians 5.11 says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Let me read it again. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose those deeds as being evil. That's what Christ wants us to do. That's what the Word of God teaches us to do. I want you to take your Bibles and flip back. Just go back to Second uh, Corinthians 4. This, is, this was our kickoff verses that we used uh, several weeks ago. So I want to go back there and read just one more, one more uh, passage and, and then we'll close. Um, Let me, let me uh, give you something to think about, okay? Um, this battle that we're in, I, I was thinking, I don't know how far to go because I'm probably going to want to do this again as far as the context of what I'm dealing with because everybody will be back next Sunday. But 
We know that Paul says that, well, I tell you what, we got time. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? So, I mean, you're not going to get up and leave. So hold your finger here at 2 Corinthians 4. Hold on. Go, go to the right and go to Ephesians, okay? Okay, go to Ephesians 6. Now, I promise you next Sunday, we're, we're going to get into this very specifically, okay? I'm going I'm to whet your appetite a little bit about, I'm not going to give the devil glory, but we are going to talk about the wicked world, some of the spiritual things that we deal with. I'm in Ephesians 6. Did I say that? Ephesians 6. Did I tell you? Ephesians 6, and look at verse 10. Finally, Ephesians 6.10. I, I really think this is, in the context of what we're dealing with, the topic, um, darkness and light, this is an extremely important verse. Um, verses. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. I mean, obviously, um, you need to be strengthened through the grace of the Lord because uh, you're at war. You're an alien, you're a stranger to this world, and that world and all the little demonic minions and all the principalities, everything is against you. It wants you, if you're a Christian, those wicked things desire to corrupt you. I think about uh, Jesus in Luke. I think it's Luke 21. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, the devil has asked, when really it says, ESV says, the devil has demanded to sift you like wheat. And then Jesus says, I pray for you, Peter. And it wasn't pretty, but Peter made some mistakes, but he was restored. We talked a little bit about that a couple of weeks ago. It's, it's a war, it's a battle. It's a... Uh, so he says, finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He has, uh, those of you who look at building plans and uh, the schematic is the Greek there. Stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not struggle or wrestle against flesh and blood. And this is where the battle is, folks. Never forget this. It's a spiritual thing. People are not your enemy. Lost people, pagans, infidels. You know, pedophiles, transvestites, almost just radical sexual perverts. These perverts are not your enemy. They're your mission field. Right? Right? But this is, he's going to tell us our enemy. That you may better stand against the schemes of the devil. I was telling them Wednesday night, I think, uh, uh, I don't know if you think about stuff like this, but you know, Lucifer, we'll talk about this next Sunday. I, I'm sorry I keep repeating myself, but you know, I was, and I meant to do this the first thing and I didn't. I'm sorry and I should have. I've already chased enough rabbits. I'm out of time, but uh, it happens, Kathy. I'm sorry. It just happens. Um, so in Isaiah 14, you know, Ezekiel 28, Robbie read 
last Sunday, the fall of Satan, one of those. Isaiah 14 talks about the fall of Satan too, okay? And so it, it talks about Lucifer. He, he was a, literally, it just, he was the morning star. He was the highest ranking angel. And he fell. And I'm talking about, you know, in the, in the angelic world, the heavenly host, in the world that Lucifer's described, he was the highest ranking angel of that sort. He was a musical angel, by the way. And, he, and it says in Isaiah 14, there's five things he wanted to do. I will, I, will, I, will, I will ascend your throne. He was telling God, I, I want to rule where you rule. And so he was cast out. That was Lucifer. But when, but when he, there he's Lucifer, the shining one. That's why I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, that the angel will disguise himself as an angel of light. That was his nature. And so, so he'll take what's good. By the way, rat poison, I don't know what the statistics are, but if you have poison, 90% of it may be good. It's the 10% poison that kills the rat. Well, the, he's an angel of light. He'll share a lot of good stuff, and then all of a sudden he'll think about Adam and Eve and when he, you know, has God really said. So all these things, the deceiver's there. But, so Lucifer there, I, I, I know I'm over time, but that's okay. Lucifer there, but when he, the shining one, his position of esteem and glory. Rule, matter of fact, it, it seems it describes he ruled planets. It doesn't say that. It's incredible. But when it describes his work on this earth, he's called Satan. He's not called Lucifer most of the time here in the New Testament. He's called Satan. Because the word Satan means adversary. He's the shining one. Now he's what to you and, and to me? He's our adversary. So let me, I'll read this and we'll close. Uh, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not struggle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. Folks, these are very important words. There, there's a theology of evil. You have to, it's, it's not simple. It's not just the devil against me. It's, he has an army. And this, this is how it's written. If you read it, the way the language is, it's, it's describing the ranks of a military. He has a, he has a wicked army. So, so we don't struggle against flesh and blood, but against rulers. That's the word archon. We call it archangel, a ruling angel. Okay, you have rulers, captains, whatever you want to call them. Against the authorities, that's a, almost like a political position. That's somebody that by their, by their rapport or their intelligence, they're put in a position because they can handle it. Exousia is the word. It's used of good and bad. But here it says, you, so we're not battling flesh and blood, but against rulers, captains, against authorities, others that have been placed because of their abilities, but against authorities, against, are you looking at your Bible? Against cosmic powers over this present darkness. Remember when at the tower, God distributed the nations? And he says, and I'm going to give you over to the angels, it says to the sons of God, right? Deuteronomy 32.8. Well, there are good angels, but then there's also what kind of angels? Bad angels. And 
And we know from reading, this will blow your mind. In reading Daniel 9 and 10, you discover that there are angels, archangels, that are specifically sent by the devil to corrupt national leaders. Did you hear me? Let me say it again. In Daniel 9 and 10, we learn that there are archangels that somehow in the devil's plan, those particular angels are sent to nations and their job in their existence is to thwart, deceive national leaders. You think there's been one in America? That's right. And folks, that's, that, that, that's why Paul uses this language here. He wants to remind us that that hasn't gone away. We're still there. Those nations are still in darkness. And until they hear the gospel and are saved, they live in darkness. That's why they're where they are because their descendants, their forefathers disobeyed. They're where they are because of the past. Can't blame it on God. It's man's disobedience that that's why they're there. So against, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. And then he says against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So there's a whole warfare going on that we can't see. Every once in a while, that veil between that world may get a little thin and something might happen. There might be a fallen angel. Some might see and mistake it for a UFO or I don't know. But that veil sometimes gets thin so people see things. Skinwalker Ranch was interesting to me because I, I think that's some of the manifestations of that at Skinwalker Ranch. That you see some of those wicked spiritual forces coming through, but you don't see it all the time. By the way, let me tell you when you will see it. When we're in heaven and the tribulations going on earth, that's when the world will see it. You can read Revelation 12 and find that out. That God's going to just send them all and loose them all on the earth anyway. So against flesh and blood, against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual force of evil in heaven. Therefore, because of that, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. In doing all, take a stand. You have to stand. Amen? Have to stand. Let's stand for prayer. I know I'm late. I'm sorry. Oh, man, I'm way over. My wife's going to kill me. Who said that? That's, that's hurtful. Very hurtful. I'll have to leave during the prayer. I'm, I'm sorry I went so long. Let me ask you this question to think about. And we'll answer it first thing next Sunday, if I remember. <laughs> There's fallen angels. Multitudes of angels. Hundreds of thousands of fallen angels. A third of them fell with Satan. That's what the Bible says. A third of them. But evil spirits, the demonic world, where do the demons come from? I don't think they're fallen angels. So there's a whole demonic world in addition to fallen angels. And we're going, that's what we're doing battle with. Besides our flesh, besides the world, there's some evil forces out there that do battle with us. So we better put on the whole armor of God. Amen. Let's pray.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for salvation. Thank you that the light, as the Bible says, has shone in our hearts and has set us free from the bondage to sin and death. Father, thank you for the work of the church. Thank you for the beauty of the body of Christ. As we leave this place, may we be exactly who we are. May we be the salt and the light of a decaying world. In Jesus' name, amen.